live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby! We're going to be here all day! Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party! Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon and happy Wednesday, the middle of the week, April 6th, the year 2022. My main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios, um, spinning the tunes, pushing all the buttons. He's on the campus of Delta Media, which houses KLWB, which is 1037 Lafayette. We're also on 1041 Lake Charles. Yours truly here. Studio 1A, uh, as we roll on. LSU baseball improved to 20 and nine on the season as they pummeled helpless grambling 16 to three, the Lakers lost the Pelicans won. the Pels are in the Lakers are heading to Cabo. Can't beat that with a stick. Now they just have to hold off the San Antonio Spurs with three games left in the regular season, the Pels with a one-game advantage. They have to keep that one-game advantage or the play-in game will take place in San Antonio. If everything remains the same, the Pels have a better record than San Antonio. They will host because San Antonio has the tiebreaker if it's a tie. What, what, what were the Saints thinking? What was their logic behind the trade with the Philadelphia Eagles? We'll delve into that. It is the day before the start of the 86th Masters. We'll take you back in time to a young radio man who happened to be at Augusta in 1995 when Ben Crenshaw won it, and 1996 when Sir Nick Faldo won it. It was one year earlier, too early, one year too early, because in 1997, Tiger Woods won his first major. He'll set out to try and win his sixth green jacket tomorrow. Scott Rabelais will join us. He is on the grounds of Augusta for The Advocate. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of get a feel for what's going on on the eve where the crowds will be surrounding Tiger Woods and company. And then, as always, Michael Huguenin will join us today as he does each and every Wednesday. Uh, we begin LSU Pro Day. Uh, Derek Stingley, the junior, the LSU cornerback, had his 2021 season cut short with a foot injury. But apparently he showed today during LSU's Pro Day that he's ready to roll for the NFL draft. He ran an impressive 437 seconds on his first attempt at the 40-yard dash today inside the LSU practice indoor facility. Uh, less than please on his second try when he went to 4.44. He suffered that torn ligament in his left foot in late September, had to undergo surgery, ending his season ahead of the week four game at Mississippi State. In attendance, the biggest name on hand to watch, Pittsburgh Steeler coach, Mike Tomlin, um, the Saints 
the Cincinnati Bengals, the Houston Texans, and the Tennessee Titans were also among the teams that had representatives on hand today in Baton Rouge. So it kind of shows you when LSU had that 2019 season, every team in the league was at LSU's pro day. They had that many pro players available. Not as many this go-around, so fewer and fewer teams in attendance. So take it for what it's worth. We'll see how high Derek Stingley goes. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, LSU had the right team at the right time last night in baseball. Uh, Grambling um, succumbed to LSU 16 to three. Jay Johnson had plenty of opportunities to tinker with his lineup. Um, and this before the team embarks on another SEC road series in an attempt to shore up some defensive problems. Coach Johnson started Kate Doty at third base, moved Jacob Berry to right field, and put Collier Cranford at shortstop. He also gave Jack Merrifield some time at shortstop and Cranford some time at second base. He also shook up the batting order, leading off with Dylan Cruz and moving Trey Morgan to the cleanup spot. Tinker, tinker, tinker until you get something going. Um, Barry launched his ninth run, home run of, uh, of the season over the right field wall after Grambling uh, jumped on starter Grant Taylor for two runs on four hits in the first. Um, Barry hit the home run, even the score. And from that point on, it was all LSU. They scored a total of 16 runs on 18 hits, including three home runs. Nine of the runs came in the fourth inning alone. Um, so just take it with a grain of salt and um, understand the opposition. But uh, the Tigers got to be feeling a little bit better about themselves. The Pelicans are feeling a little bit better about themselves after starting the season one and 12. They stretched it out. They lost 13 of their first 16 games. Didn't have Zion Williamson. Things were just heading down the old commode before Thanksgiving. But over the next few months, the Pelicans slowly climbed themselves out of a hole. And last night, Coach Willie Green's team placed a spot in the Western Conference play-in tournament uh, where New Orleans, if they win that, game will have a chance to qualify for the playoffs for the first time since 2018 thanks to their 123-109 beating of the Sacramento Kings. It wasn't the usual crowd that shuffled in. Jackson Hayes led the Pelicans with 23 points and 12 rebounds. Rookie Trey Murphy came off the bench to score 14 points. The Pels sunk nine threes in the second half and finished their four-game West Coast road trip three up and one down. So the Pels now hold a one-game lead over the 10th place San Antonio Spurs. Both teams have three regular season games remaining to ensure that the Pels host the play-in tournament game at the Smoothie King Center. The Pelicans must maintain their one-game lead over San Antonio because the Spurs own the head-to-head tiebreaker. Not bad. Not bad. No longer the Smelicans. Uh, they are the Pelicans, and we'll see if they, in the last three games, can hold off the Spurs. Plain and simple. 
plain and simple. Well, we are brought to you each and every Wednesday by our great friends at Cajun Chef, uh, the Art family right there in St. Martinville for nearly 90 years, nine decades. They're deep in the heart of the South Louisiana Bayou country, and Cajun Chef seasonings are still made from time-honored, traditional family recipes using only the finest spices and the finest peppers. Taste the flavor of Cajun Chef's cayenne hot sauce made from choice vine-ripened cayenne peppers. For full-bodied flavors without too much heat, try Cajun Chef's gourmet green hot sauce. It's made from the same select peppers picked while still green for the fullest flavor or try Cajun Chef's Cayenne Red Pepper on poultry, beef, or seafood. It's perfect for shrimp, crabs, and crawfish cooked Cajun style. Uh, Vine ripened green Tabasco peppers and specially seasoned vinegar will spice up any vegetable. So turn up the taste with Cajun Chef and give yourself, your family, your loved ones the Cajun food flavor. That will keep them coming back for more and more and more. Cajun Chef. Oh, it is the best. It is the flavor of Louisiana. All right. Justin Napoli will join us here in just a minute. We will celebrate the Pelicans. It's not how you start, right? It's how you finish. And the Pels are finishing in the right form, in the right fashion, and in the right direction. They're going to play the Spurs for the play-in game just don't know if it's going to be in New Orleans or if it's going to be off the Riverwalk. We will see. Um, we'll take our first time out of the day. We'll be back. This is the Wednesday edition of the Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Fun day. Let's get rolling. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul the hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we're back. The Jordy Holtberg Show presented by Cajun Chef Hot Sauce. We know the regular season of the NBA is 82 games. Well, the New Orleans Pelicans are going to play at least 83 games. They have clinched a play-in spot. We just don't know yet if they're going to hold down the number nine seed or the number 10 seed up at stake. Number nine gets you a home game for the play-in. Number 10 takes you on the road. Uh, Propel's talking. It's not anti-Pels talk. It's pro because they did it. They beat the um, Sacramento Kings last night. And Justin Napoli of Pro-Pels Talk, Boot Crew Media, kind enough to join us. You feeling good? I guess truly not how you start, but how you finish, right? 100% stay up till about 2 a.m. celebrating last night. So it was really, it was exciting. You know, I, a lot of people are giving, um, you know, a lot of Pelicans fans are really excited right now. It's an exciting time. And I've said this before, you know, if you look from the outside in, people are like, well, it's just a playing spot. But, you know, if you really dive into this season and, you know, Willie Green never had Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson never even played a second this year. And they start off 1-12, and they still somehow make the playing game. And 
also finish ahead of the Lakers and most likely will get their first round top 10 pick. That's yeah, why that's I'm celebrating the- today. Yeah, that's pretty good. Just go back to Thanksgiving Day. The Pelicans were three and sixteen. Three and sixteen. And I, I've got to be honest with you. I was like, oh man, forget about it. Write it off. Let's just try and get get gear up, get a high draft pick and make the right pick and get ready for next year. But look, even if look, if, if even if they win the first play-in game against San Antonio, they would have to go on the road and win another play-in game. And then if they won that then they would have a best of seven series so it's a it's an uphill climb for sure but you talk about you're out there in the in the around the fan base um is is this something for of hope and something of joy for pelicans fans because of the way they started and where they are and all the things in between yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of people, when we were 3-16, and 16, yeah, they, they got back on the tank train, and we need a tank and all these different kind of things. And I was on the opposite end of saying, well, I'd rather play important games down the stretch, and this is what the right. team's doing now. You know, Brandon Ingram's never played in a playoff game. You know, Herb Jones never played in a playoff game. You know, see, then you have C.J. McCollum, who's a veteran, comes in and has played in a lot of playoff games. Jonas Valanciunas has played in a lot of playoff games. And they now know how to win because of playing in those important games. Well, Brandon Ingram had never played in those games. Now he's starting to see, oh, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to defend. This is how people are going to game plan against me. And that is very beneficial for him, not only now, but in the future when this team does become, you know, a force in the Western Conference, especially if they get Zion Williamson back. So, you know, I understand people want to build for the future and things like that, but I, I think it's better for the, the team, the city, the fan base, and the franchise to play important games, whether it be a playing game or games like last night and so on and so forth. Yeah, win. That's not the future. You're going to lose too many people. So this team went from like beleaguered, like, oh my God, they're terrible, to the infamous, well, they're, you know, they play hard. Well, you're supposed to play hard. You're getting paid to play. You're supposed to play hard. And then they became respectable. And then they became pretty good throughout the past six months. So, so that's uh, impressive. So look, with the youth, and with the coach, um, gosh, I'm bullish uh, on this team. I'm buying stock in the Pelicans. And listen, you should. And, and I think Willie Green has, has, has been the home run hire that everyone's wanted. Um, yeah. And you know, to, to quote him, they're one in eleven. And Willie Green just said, "Just because we lost some basketball games, I'm still going to go get back to work. Uh, put my head down." I'm going to keep grinding, keep trying to improve, and I believe in what I believe in. I know things will turn around. This is when he was 1-11. Mm-hmm. And to sit that to, and just to embrace that every single day, to just hammer it home to his team, that, that just shows you the guy who he is. And the players go to bat for him every single time. They play so hard. And, and you see it on and off the court. Jordy, I don't know if you saw the video yesterday, but – there's a shooting video, and looks like they're having an absolute blast in Sacramento. People are running around. Everyone's celebrating. This is before a postseason clinching game. So it just shows it. you how loose they are and how they want to play. And I can't tell you as a coach like how important that is to a team, to be loose and have fun and show up. Because last year, I'm not trying to be mean or anything or harp on the past, but Stan Van Gundy was Oh, it's awful. And 
I'll tell you what, it is night and day different night between and Sam yeah. and Willie Gray. No question. Justin Napoli, great point. Um, it's got to be fun. They got to buy in, but winning cures everything. And that's what makes it fun. The, uh, the Pels now have the Trailblazers, uh, the Grizzlies, and the Warriors. San Antonio um, didn't do us a favor. They beat Denver. Now they've got the Timberwolves, the Warriors, and the Mavericks. What is it about San Antonio? They won three out of four over New Orleans this season. Not many people can name one player on their team unless you really, really, really follow the NBA. What is it about the Spurs that make them such a difficult matchup for New Orleans? I mean, I think this goes without saying. I think you're going to agree with my point here, but it, it all goes under Greg Popovich. I mean, he's yeah. probably the greatest coach this, this game has ever seen, and he's always prepared and understands what's going on. And the, the Spurs are, are they're, they're like the Patriots of, of the NBA. You know, you may think they're down, but you still better show up because you know they're going to get their best. Or you're going to get your their best every single night, and that's what the Spurs do. And they're, they're a tough matchup. They're doing this without Deontay Murray. Uh, probably their best player on the roster. So, yeah. you know, it's scary. Um, but it's an inter- interesting stretch here coming down here, Jordy, because you the Pelicans get Golden State, right, and they get Memphis. But Memphis has nothing to play for. We talked about exactly. this last week. Memphis has nothing to play for. And Golden State might have something to play for, but Steph Curry's been out. He's trying to get back. So it's going to be really interesting to see who plays and who doesn't. Portland, I think, would take care of business tomorrow, and that will be an easy win. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting because we go Saturday at Memphis, Sunday back at home against Golden State. And I think those are two games that are winnable. And the Pelicans can't you know, take their foot off the pedal here because the Spurs, no. as you said, won three out of four. They have the tiebreaker over the Pelicans. So they have to win in order to host that nine seed. And I think um, Ali Cosell came out with an article yesterday saying that you don't want to see San Antonio in a postseason game on the road, especially the Pelicans' track record in San Antonio, it is not good at all. Not good at all. Only topped, I think, by the Dallas Mavericks, where they they didn't win forever and ever and ever and a day uh, back in the day. But I think you got to win two out of the three. I I really do. Um, San Antonio... Minnesota's a tough, tough club. And like you said, the Warriors, what are they playing for? The Mavericks have something to play for. They could catch Golden State. Um, So, again, you just got to win two out of three, and I think you're in and hosting uh, that play-in game. When would that play-in game be? So, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've got confirmation that it's going to be when. Uh, my guess is going to be early, too. I think it's going to be 6 p.m. Uh, tip time, only because we're talking, we're just talking about today. Um, Minnesota, will, I think Minnesota will host L.A., the Clippers, and you're not going to, the NBA is not going to start that game at 6 p.m. and it'd be 4 p.m. in L.A. So right. I think it's going to be Wednesday, and the Pelicans will get the 6 p.m. slot time against the Spurs. Okay. All right. Either way. Either way. Fascinating. Uh, more on the Pelicans. Um, Zion's stepfather, uh, Lee Anderson, came out and said that Zion's healthy. And the stepdad said, I think he can play. Um, but he did cushion that a little bit by saying, but, yeah, it's got to go through the medical staff and and all that. And and maybe, maybe right now is not the best time. Because how do you incorporate him with what's going on right now, right? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, it's, it's always good to – and to the, inter, to the interview, I thought it was, a, it was an okay interview. I'm just glad he said some positive things about the Pelicans. Yes. Or, too much stock into it. Uh, you know, of course, he, of right. course, his stepdad wants him to play. And, you know, who knows? Uh, I'm playing. I, I've, I've come on here before. I've told you <laughs> shouldn't play. And, yeah. listen – he can play 15 minutes a night and be healthy and, you know, be everything like he's accustomed to the offensive schemes and everything, then I'm all for it, but I just don't see it right now. I'm um, with you. So I think it's just best that he's just around the team, he's around the atmosphere, mm-hmm. get him healthy, and, you know, that will be that. that, that that's all I can really say to that. I mean, Jordy, do you yeah. think he can play right now? No, I don't. I, I really don't. And I think chemistry is very, very important, even on this level. Um, and I think that messes up everything. Uh, so I wouldn't do it. I, like you said, I'd, let, I'd get him completely healthy and see and see where this thing goes. We're talking with Justin Napoli. Um, explain to uh, our listeners again the significance of the Lakers being where they are and where they end, have to end up finishing for the Pelicans to prosper from their demise. Yeah, so uh, with the Lakers' loss last night, they play in contention. It looks like they're not going to catch um, anybody else. So they're slotted right now in the eighth seed, or the eighth, I'm sorry, the eighth worst record in the league. They have a, uh, it's called a top 10 protected pick when we made the Anthony Davis trade. And in 2022, if they finished with a 10th worst record or below, uh, I'm sorry, or higher, that, that 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 first round pick would then go to the Pelicans. So now the Pelicans have a 99.6% chance of getting the first round, of getting their top 10 pick. The only way we don't get their pick and we'll go to Memphis is if lottery teams slot 11 through 15 when they do the, you know, they do the, the ping pong balls. If those multiple teams jump the Lakers, we won't get their pick. That is a 0.4% chance of that happening. So okay. it's very likely the Pelicans will get a top 10 pick and there's a 27% chance that they will get a top four pick. So you're wow. telling me that the Pelicans <laughs> can make the postseason and get a top four pick. That's huh. why everyone is celebrating right now. Yeah, if they got a top, top if they pick. got a top four pick and they keep this entire roster intact as is, what yeah. type of player would best be suited for this club? What is their biggest need? Well, I think it's, it's, it's guard play. I think it's point guard play, in my opinion. Uh, because CJ's not a point like, He's playing point guard right now, but he's not really a point guard. I think you got to get a, a point guard that can score. And you got both for the bench. I'm on the train. Look, there's some great players in this draft. Um, yep. you know, the kid from Auburn's really good. Um, I know Holgram, Chet Holgram from Gonzaga has talked about a lot. There's a lot of good players. I think the one problem with this roster, and it's not necessarily a problem, but it could be improved, is how young they are, right? I think, as you saw, when we traded for C.J. McCollum, they got a veteran in there, a guy that knows how to score, and a guy that knows how to win, and they've kind of really taken off with C.J. McCollum. I'd be interested to see if they traded that pick and packaged a couple players for a bigger move. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying... There's a guy out there in Utah named Donovan Mitchell. He's very upset right now. There's a guy out there in Washington named Bradley Beal. He doesn't seem too fond of the situation right now, too. So what I'm telling you is that wow. that top four pick or top seven pick or top eight pick might be very – might look good to someone like Washington who's probably going to go through a rebuild right now. So mm-hmm. there are just a lot of different options that I think the, that Griffin and the Pelicans can go with if they – if, God forbid, they get top four pick, I think uh, – 
there's going to be so many options. But even with the top 10 picks, they're, they're going to be set pretty well. Very interesting. Do they have any other pick in the first round, or is that it? No. So we traded it with the Devontae Graham pick. So that's why it's also huge is that we, we don't huge. even lose our first-round yeah. draft pick that we traded away this summer. So um, wow. just an enormous night for the Pelicans, both on and off the court. I mean, they're going to be set up for the draft. They're set up to play important basketball games. It's just been such an exciting time to yeah. be a fan, right? And I never thought I'd say I, I, I would bet – on the future of the Pelicans more so than the future of the Los Angeles Lakers. I just, I did, I would, and I am. And I think the future is very, very bright. Um, It'd be very interesting to see what happens the rest of this way and what happens come draft time. Fascinating stuff. Um, Justin, thank you. Hey, was that you walking around uh, New Orleans with a basketball goal and helping people if they make a shot, they get a shot? (laughs) Huh? That, How yeah, fun was that? That was me. That, we had a good time with the Final Four. I'll tell you what, the city did a great job of uh, yeah. hosting the Final yeah. Four. It looked like everyone had a good time, and it was a really good moment for the city after all the pandemic stuff. Uh, really nice you, job by the city of New Orleans. I saw you sneak a dunk in every now and then and, and sneak a shot in, too. So you had to reward yourself for ca- yeah. you know for being out well, there like that with those people. Well, it's the only time I've ever dunked in my life, so I had to uh, I had to take advantage of the uh, seven foot goal. So you know. <laughs> Uh, Justin, you're great. We'll do this again uh, prior to uh, next Wednesday. We'll talk about the uh, the playing game. So I'll be I'll be calling upon you. So thank you for your time, my friend. Absolutely, thanks, Shorty. Hi, buddy. Justin Napoli, Propels Talk, Boot Crew Media, and all that fun stuff. Pels are in. We just don't know if they're going to be playing at home or in San Antonio. We'll find out by Sunday as the regular season comes to a close. All right. Um, The Pels have only one first-round pick in the upcoming NBA draft. The Saints have two first-round picks in the upcoming NFL draft, which is about three weeks away. Where do they go? Do they dare package it and move up? We will find out next with Chris Rosevaglu. But first, you can experience Festival International like never before by winning the game's Festival International prize pack. Sign up for the Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You get a chance to score a pair of bon ton passes. You'll get exclusive access to front row and stage areas, shaded seating, air-conditioned restrooms, express drink lines, shirts, pins, and a poster. Oh, it's worth it. Experience Festival like never before by winning the Festival International Prize Pack from the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Who that? Who that? Who that talking about them Saints? We are. After this timeout, the Jordy Heltberg Show, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We're Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, New Orleans Saints talk brought to you by Eon of Lafayette Smarter Body Contouring, the first robotic touchless laser body contouring device for non-invasive permanent fat loss. Get beach ready with Eon of Lafayette. Chris Rosevaglu, kind enough to join us. He's a writer for The Spun, SI Now, Saints podcaster for Boot Crew Media, amongst many, many things. Chris, what's happening, buddy? How are you? I'm doing great, Jordy. How's everything? 
Everything's good. So um, take me into the Saints war room and tell me uh, what the thought process was to pull the trigger and make this deal with the um, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, what do you what, what do you think the thought process was here? Yeah, I think there's two kind of trains of thought here. I think the first one is, do the Saints think they could be a contender this year? If so, maybe they think they're two impact players away on day one from doing that. And if we kind of think about 2017, in round one, they got Lattimore and Ramchek, immediate impact players, and obviously they made a playoff run that year. So if they're going through that lens and they feel like, hey, our team is not bad at all and the NFC has gotten weaker this offseason, then that definitely makes sense. The other option, I would say – is one impact player, and maybe there's a quarterback, whether it's a Kenny Pickett or a Desmond Ritter maybe, that they think they can get with one of those first-round picks mm-hmm. while also addressing the current roster with maybe a receiver or an offensive tackle. So I think it's either you're going all-in with two impact players, maybe receiver or offensive tackle, or you want to get a quarterback, don't feel like you need to move into the top 10 to get one that you want, so you can grab one at, let's say, 16, and at 19 you could still go get maybe a Trevor Penning or a Chris Olave or Jamison Williams, someone like that who can help your team out this season. What would you do? What would you like to see happen? You know, I think it really depends how the board shapes out, but I think the the most interesting scenario would be if one of those picks is for a quarterback. And and the reason I say that is with the way they made this trade, um, if, if Sean Payton comes back and the Saints can trade him, yes, they'll recoup picks that they traded. But let's say he doesn't then they're pretty much tied to Jameis Winston past 2023. And the only reason that confuses me is if that was the case, why give a two-year deal? So you have Jameis Winston only under contract through the 2023 season. you got Andy Dalton only under contract through this upcoming season. Ian Book, I'm not so sure the Saints are necessarily confident in him. So I feel like if one of these picks isn't for a quarterback, either you have to hope that Jameis takes that next step, which is definitely possible, or – you kind of enter a really weird scenario as to we don't know how we're going to address our quarterback room next year. And by the way, as of now, they wouldn't have a first-round pick next year. So I think the more interesting scenario would be a quarterback. And I think, in my opinion, a best of both worlds would be getting a receiver, whether it's a Chris Olave, a Jamison Williams, a Garrett Wilson, one of those guys, while also using one of those first-round picks on maybe a guy like Kenny Pickett, who did say his toughest interview so far in this process was with the Saints. Interesting. What are the chances, what are the odds of the Pelicans taking those two picks and combining them and making a trade to move up even higher uh, in the first round? And and if so, would that be solely to get a quarterback? I think if you make a move of that magnitude, it has to be for a quarterback. And I think the guy that everyone would point to would be Malik Willis because he seems to be QB1 on, on just about everyone's board. The only Mm -hmm. reason I'm a little hesitant about that is I feel like if the Saints' plan from the jump was, okay, let's move into, let's say, the top seven or the top five and get a quarterback, I'm not so sure they would do so much maneuvering where they're sending a 2023 first or 2024 second, sending that to the Eagles to get pick 16 and 19 and then using those and moving up to, let's say, five. I I just think there's so much maneuvering where the Saints could have just said, hey, let's call up a team in the top five and let's offer them pick 18 that they originally had. Let's offer them next year's first. Let's offer them next year's second and and the 2024 second. So I feel like to move into the top five, uh, it would be tough. Um, It wouldn't surprise me, though, if it's in the back of their mind they're thinking, hey, if we get two first-round picks and one of those guys we like slips, let's say to, I don't know, 10 or 11, 
making the jump from 16 to like 11 or 12 to that range isn't that, you know, damaging in terms of what you would have to trade. So maybe they can do that. But in terms of going to the, let's say, top five, top seven, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, doubtful about that at the moment. I'm with you. Chris Rosevergluck joining us. Uh, did you like the deal? I mean, it tells me, and I think you hit the nail on the head in your first assessment of this when I first asked you about it was, I think the Saints want to win here and now, and I think they're looking at the landscape of things with what Atlanta's like and what uh, Carolina is like and, you know, what Tampa Bay has, and I think they feel like they are a player or two, an instant impact player or two um, from competing for uh, the division championship. And, and as a Saints fan, I mean, I love that approach. I love it. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And I can never really be mad if the Saints are going to be aggressive in, in a positive way. And I think for this, there's either two options. They're going all in right now or they're finding a way to stay competitive right now while also preparing for the future. So either way, whichever one it is, I think that's great to, to know because when you lose a coach like Sean Payton, we're always wondering, you know, what's the vision? How's this team going to be? What's the structure going to be? Well, I think Mickey Loomis has done a pretty good job in terms of showing people that, yeah, Sean is gone, but he still has a pulse on this team in terms of knowing when to pull the trigger on a deal like this and, and moving assets. And I know a lot of people are going to talk about the Saints getting – least in terms of draft value and whatnot from now, but until we know who those players are and what they end up doing on the football field, I do love the move. I love the aggression, and the Saints have shown in the past with two first-round picks, we've seen them take guys like Lattimore and Ramchek. We've seen them take Cam Jordan and Mark Ingram. I know the Andrews Pete Stephon Anthony hole isn't as intriguing as the other two, but the Saints do have a good, uh, I would say, success rate in terms of having two first-round picks in the same draft. Chris, I'm all about what the L.A. Rams do. I'm not worried about 2023. I'm certainly not worried about 2024. I'm I'm worried about 22, and I want to win now. Nothing's guaranteed in the future. I love the aggressive nature. Let's bring it. And that takes me to my next question. Everybody wants to know, um, the Honey Badger, Taran Matthew, visited with the Saints. Um, Nothing has been formulated, nothing that I've heard of. The Saints are always patient. They're always trying to figure out the budget, and and they, they take their time. What do you think about Matthew, what do you think about the Saints? What do you think about the possibility thereof? I think it makes a lot of sense if they can pull this together. They, they need another leader in the building. Tyron Matthew checks off that box. He definitely would fit the culture and energy. We all know he's a perfect fit um, down there in New Orleans. And I think the yeah. other thing for Tyron Matthew that really you know makes this potential fit interesting is I'm sure there's a number he's looking to get in terms of what that contract would be. I'd imagine that top number he had coming into free agency, he hasn't gotten that and probably will not get that number because if he did already, I'd imagine he would have been signed. So for the Saints, they don't like to really move or budge from their initial contract offer to a player. Um, They're usually pretty firm on that. But if he goes around the league and he starts seeing that, hey, the offers that the Saints gave me, I'm getting from everyone else. It's not like they lowballed me. It's just what the market's going to be right now for Tyron Matthew because all the other safeties – like Marcus Williams and whatnot, got bigger deals, I think it's a possibility. And I think it's one of those where everyone's just going to have to be patient. I know when he met with the Saints, everyone on Twitter was going wild. Everyone was hoping that within the hour or two you'd hear a, you know, a report about him signing a deal with them. But things like this, they take time, and it doesn't mean that they're not going to happen. I remember, and I know it's a little bit of a different situation, but I remember Jerry Cook visit with the Saints, and then 
everyone was like, hey, when's the contract going down? When's it going down? And we didn't hear another thing for like 10 days, and then they finally signed. So I, I would imagine Tyron Matthews is going to look over his options, see what else is out there, then compare a couple of offers, compare the fit. But for him, Saints need a safety. They need another leader. And to your point, they just went in with an aggressive move. So from his perspective, it's not like you're joining a team that's entering a full rebuild. So I think it makes a lot of sense for both parties, but the price is going to be key. It makes so much sense. I know he doesn't want a hometown discount, um, but um, he came out and said it's not so much about the money anymore. It's about my family uh, being safe and being in a friend in a good environment. Um, and so, so we shall see. We shall see. When you look at the rest of the South Division, um, I would think, even though Tom Brady came back, I don't think the Bucks are as good with what they've lost and with certain injuries of players that won't be ready uh, for the start of the season. I, I, I got to believe that the Saints, with some of the deals that they've done, I, I think the Saints have had the best offseason. Am I wrong there? You know, I think the in terms of potential, they could. I, I would love to see how these draft picks go out first in yeah. terms of what players they're bringing in the building. And if they sign Tyra Matthew, then that changes things. Because I think a lot of people are still upset about the Marcus Williams loss. But if they bring in Marcus May and Tyra Matthew to kind of, I would say, ease that pain, I think that makes it a lot easier to swallow the loss of Marcus Williams. So that kind of takes that off the board. In terms of Teron Armstead, well, the Saints draft a tackle, all of a sudden that might be the replacement there. So uh, I would say they're either at first or I'd put them slightly behind the Bucks. It's 1A, 1B for me. I think they're both interchangeable because I think for the for the Bucks, getting Brady back was so huge because I, I genuinely thought that if Brady wasn't going to come back to Tampa Bay, they were going to be much you know content with losing certain free agents like Carlton Davis, let him go to yeah. the highest bidder let a guy like Chris Gala maybe walk so they don't have to pay multiple wide yeah. receivers. Yeah. Uh, and, and that just changed their whole MO. They went all in one more year. So I would say it's either Tampa Bay or New Orleans, but I will say the fact that those two teams haven't had disastrous off-seasons like the other two in the NFC South, it just creates such a big barrier between the Saints and the Bucks compared to the Falcons and the Panthers. Yeah, I guess it comes down to which new head coach and which coaching staff uh, becomes better. Um, and that's Todd Bowles with Tampa or Dennis Allen with New Orleans because um, both teams lost some pretty good coaches, and uh, and we'll see how the how the new coaches fare. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's another excellent point there with Tampa Bay. And I think the the interesting thing almost for both teams is they're kind of in similar situations, right? They're taking they have both coordinators from last season, Todd yes. Bowles and Byron Leftwich, and then for the Saints, yes. Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael. So. It's kind of kind of see who's the one who could kind of fill in those large shoes. And um, honestly, I think Bowles can do it. I, I love Todd Bowles' work that he's done. And I, I think, you know, even Jets fans will remember his first year. He went 10-6. and six, They just happened to miss the playoffs. So he's shown yeah. some success. And then we look at Dennis Allen, what he's done transforming that defense. And let's not forget, Dennis Allen did beat the Bucks last year, although it was 9 nothing. That's still a win, and it all counts the same. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be a big uh, storyline. You're absolutely right. And honestly – as of today, I know it's tough, so hard to predict things, but the NFC is looking pretty weak at this point. I would not be surprised if both those teams make the playoffs. I'm with you. Uh, Chris Rose for Glue. Kind of joins the biggest story around the NFL today's Buffalo Bills and wide receiver Stefan Diggs have agreed to a four year, $104 million extension. They want to keep their quarterback happy, and that's his go to guy. It just makes perfect sense to me. 
Oh, it, it does. It makes all the sense in the world. And for them, they've had an interesting offseason. They cut Cole Beasley. Emmanuel Sanders is expected to go elsewhere. So you're losing two key wideouts in terms of veterans. You've got to make sure you keep Stephon Diggs there for the long haul. And that market is shooting up. And honestly, with the way wide receivers are getting paid right now, who knows, in two years from now, Stephon Diggs' salary, which is like $26 million a year on that contract, could end up yeah. looking like a bargain. So it makes all the sense in the world. And there's such a perfect fit. That trade ended up working out perfectly for Buffalo. Okay, let's say the Saints get a quarterback with one of their two first-round picks. What's more important to you? Now, you got Michael Thomas coming back at wide receiver, and you lose Teron Armstead at your left tackle position. So what position to you is of utmost importance, offensive lineman or a sidekick to Michael Thomas at wide receiver? You know, I'm going to go a sidekick to Michael Thomas at wide receiver. And, and the reason I say that is with last year's Saints team, as good as Armstead is, and the Saints are going to miss him. There's no sugarcoating the loss that they'll have in terms of on the field and then in the locker room. He's just a pro's pro. But they went nine games last year without him. So they know what life kind of is when Toronto Armstead misses time. And whether it's James Hurst at left tackle or maybe Landon Young, the rookie out of Kentucky, maybe he develops. Maybe the Saints kick Ramchick to left tackle. They have options there. But more importantly, I think the Saints do such a good job of getting the offensive linemen later on in the draft. Eric McCoy, a second rounder. Teron Armstead, a third rounder. I believe Zach Street back then was a seventh rounder. Like They just find ways to just get great value out of those picks. So I think from the Saints' perspective, you already know how your team kind of operates when Armstead's missed time. You found a way. Is it easy? No. But you found ways to kind of ease that loss. Michael Thomas goes down. You don't have him at all last season. We saw how brutal that receiving core is. So what if Michael Thomas misses time again? If you don't invest early in a wide receiver, I'm worried that you kind of suffer the same fate as last year. So for that reason, and plus receivers now are more impactful and more important than ever before, I'd kind of lean towards getting the sidekick for Michael Thomas. All right, four picks in the top 101. They need a wide receiver. They need a left tackle, maybe even a defensive back. Uh, they need a running back. Uh, they need some things. So we'll, we'll see how it all unfolds. But, Chris, um, very interesting times. This draft is going to be very, very intriguing, and I love the fact that the Saints are in it to win it. Uh, I love that aggressive nature, man. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll we'll be back in touch, my friend. Thank you. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, that's Chris Rose of Glue does a tremendous, tremendous job each and every time he joins us. Today is the day that you join the game, Clubhouse Rewards Club. Not only is it free to join, but you'll get the chance to enter to win tremendous free gifts, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou. You can only win that $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse or $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen by joining the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. We'll wrap up our number one, set the stage for our number two here on the Jordy Helper Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and that Saints report brought to you by Eon of Lafayette, the smarter body contouring, the first robotic touchless laser body contouring device for non-invasive permanent fat loss. Check it out. Eon, E-O-N of Lafayette. 
find out, get a free consultation and get rid of that stuff that you just can't get rid of. No matter how hard you work out, how hard you try, Eon will take care of it for you. We'll be right back. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hi, welcome back. Finishing touches to hour number one. Tiger is a 50 to one shot to win the Masters. 50 to one. He's going to tee it up tomorrow morning and we'll have a lot of coverage about Augusta and the Masters as we start our number two with someone who went there back in the mid to late 90s and someone who is there today plus Michael Huguenin joins us as well here on the Jordy Helpert Show on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles uh, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station brought to you by Cajun Chef Ah, family tradition, unlike any other. Turn up the taste with Cajun Chef. It's truly the flavors of Louisiana. We'll be back. Hour number two next. Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. It's hour two of two, and away we go on this Wednesday, April 6th, the year 2022. At this time of the year, when you say Wednesday, you think of the par three tournament leading up to the opening round of the masters at augusta our number two brought to you by cajun chef the flavors of louisiana located right there in saint martinville the Art family for nearly 90 years giving you the taste of Cajun food with Cajun Chef. For anyone that loves the game of golf, it's got to be a bucket list item to be able to go to Augusta and see the Masters. Our next guest got to do it two years in a row back in 1995 and 96. Um, our vice president and general manager at Delta Media Corporation, the man who brought sports talk radio to Acadiana. The boss, Mr. Chuck Wood, kind enough to join us to share his experiences, his bucket list checkoff of going to Augusta. Chuck, thank you for the time, man. I, I greatly appreciate it. How are you today? I'm doing good, Jordy. Thank you very much. How are you? I am terrific. Um, so take me back to 1995. You're you're, you're running a, a radio show. How did you decide? How did it all work out when you got to go to Augusta? Well, I was pretty lucky, I guess. Uh, but I also I, I wasn't wasn't scared and picked up the phone. Uh, in '95, <laughs> Mike Hyman, who went to a UL, uh, yeah. he, he won the Houston Open and um, got punched his ticket to Augusta. So 
I had started uh, KACY, All Sports 1520, here in Acadiana. And, okay. um, I got on the phone and I called Augusta. <laughs> and I just said, look, we got a local guy that, that just got into your tournament, and I'm just wondering if we can cover it. And uh, they said, well, yeah, yeah, you can, because uh, we allow local media to, um, you know, if you've got a first-year player, uh, they let local media come and cover it. So I got a press pass. Wow. And uh, so that was, I was pretty lucky. And um, unfortunately, Mike did not make the cut, but it was the year that it was a very, very emotional win when um, Crenshaw, Crenshaw yeah. won right after his uh, uh, Harvey Peenick was, uh, had passed away. And it was just a right. big deal. And it was a great, great tournament. That's um, awesome. And then in 96, I wasn't supposed to get a press pass in 96, and they sent me one by mistake. And uh, so I, I went again. And um, what I learned was, you know, a press member, a press, they, they put a number on, on, on your press badges, and you put your number in a hat, and they draw 40 numbers, and 40 members of the press get to play Augusta the day after the tournament. Yeah. And uh, I did not even put my number in that in 95, and maybe that's why I got the extra pass. I don't know. But um, – so I did put my number in in 96. Now, that was the year that uh, Norman uh, fell apart on Sunday right. and Faldo won. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was an incredible tournament. But uh, <laughs> they, they drew my number, and I got to play the day after the tournament. Wow. Um, okay. And that, With, that was uh, like walking on a cloud. I can only imagine. With that in mind, take us to present day with, of course, everyone's thoughts are on Tiger Woods, and it wasn't very long ago. We didn't think he'd ever walk again, and now he's out. He's going to play. You walk that course. How difficult? What, what's he about to face? Well, there's, there's not a level lie on the entire golf course. Uh, it's, you know, if you've been, you know, if you haven't, um, the TV really doesn't give it much justice mm-hmm. as far as that's concerned. But the the clubhouse sits up on a hill, and the golf course is sprawled down the side of the hill from, okay. from, the, from, from the clubhouse. So everything is a side hill or a di- downhill or combination side hill, downhill lie. And, you know, there's just not a flat lie on the entire golf course. So... It's not an easy golf course to walk. Uh, you're walking side hill or uphill or downhill the entire course, um, and it's 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 just that that's a challenge. Uh, yeah. That's why the putting's so difficult there. I was, yeah. I'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the 14th hole on that Monday after the tournament, uh, and I, I'm, I'm I hit the green and and I'm looking at the putt and. I had a caddy, and he goes, all right, so what do you see? And I said, well, I see it about six inches out here. And he goes, no. He walks over about 15 feet left of the hole. He goes, you hit it over here. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how much it breaks. It's crazy. You just can't, you can't realize just how undulating and, and, and difficult it is. And I think that's what gives Tiger an advantage. Nobody knows the course better than he does. That may make up for some of the um, the other things that uh, that maybe hinder him. That that experience is key. Can you can you? Sh- I mean, how did you hit it that day? By the way, how tough was that? Well, um, you know, <laughs> I, I have a little joke. All right, so you know. I, you know, I, I didn't do bad. I, 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 I had lost my driver the week before. I don't know if someone took it or I lost it or whatever. But I, I had to use a borrowed driver, so that was a challenge. But <laughs> I did, I did, 
I did hit it two feet on number on, on, on number 12. I hit it two feet on the par three and made birdie. Really? Uh, yeah, I sure did. I birdied eight. And uh, um, it, it was great, you know. And, you know, number 12 was probably one of the bigger reasons why Norman folded so bad. He, you know, he double bogeyed it two days in a row. So for one day, one hole, I was better than Greg Norman. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I, I broke 90. That's all I wanted to do. I said, yeah, look, as long as I that's, broke 90, I, you know, I only had 35 plus. Awesome. I actually put it pretty good. And, that's uh, awesome. It was, it, all right, take me, you, you leave Augusta, you come back to Lafayette, you're at your, you're at your friendly, uh, course that you, you play with your, your buddies. Uh, how fun was that conversation on the 19th hole about your experience there? Oh, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, there's no, I, I don't have words to describe it, Jordy. I truly don't. Oh. It's, uh, you know, the, the, the first year I went in 95, I, you know, I got my press pass and I, and I walked in the gates and, and you kind of walk through this little area where, where, you know, got concessions and you can buy your, all your swag and stuff. Right. And then you walk up and there's that big scoreboard and just the, yep. the sky's kind of open up like heaven. I mean, it's, <laughs> It, it, it's really it's really hard to describe. Um, I was lucky, perfect weather both years. Oh, I don't think they're going to be that lucky this two, year. And, and again, um, you did see two iconic finishes with Crenshaw and the and the collapse of uh, Norman with Faldo winning it. If you could have just gotten the hat trick and gotten one more pass, you'd have been there in '97 for Tiger's first green jacket. Yeah, but I did see Tiger's first Masters as an amateur. So okay. you know, I did see that. That's um, true. But uh yeah, it was great. I mean it, it was great. I you know, I followed I followed Norman and, and, and Faldo on, on the entire back nine that day with uh um oh my god, I can't even remember his name right now. It'll come to me, but um Faldo's coach. Um okay. Ledbetter. So I, I I got I was lucky enough to meet Mr. Ledbetter and he and I walked the whole back nine together and Wow. Oh, followed followed uh, Faldo and Norman, and uh, that was that was, and you could see it on number ten when uh, he just, it just seemed like Norman conceded right there on number ten. He just had this loss of focus or something, and it, you could see he looked pretty much defeated right there on that hole. So. Yeah. I've never, great. you know, I've been to a, a golf tournament, but 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 away from it, so it's not real. I can't I can't remember, but you're 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 a golfer. You understand? Is it true that? When those pros hit it, it just sounds different than when somebody like I hit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. You know they, you know they've got they've got all the right equipment. They've got their swing and they hit it right on the button every time, and it just sounds mm-hmm. sounds like a pro hitting it. Yeah, you know, I mean, basically, you know what? Though? They they all hit it the same, but it comes down to the putting game. Right. Whoever's got the, whoever's got the hot putter will win this weekend. Um, you know, I think it's great if Tiger plays. We, of course, we don't even know if he's going to play yet. We won't know till tomorrow morning. We're going to see official. what happens. Today. That's right. That's right. But if um, you know, it, it's great that he's going to play. I don't think he's got a shot at winning. He hasn't played it long enough, and hasn't played in a while. And uh, you got some pretty high golfers out there. And you know, I think uh, I think Shuffler's got as good a chance as anybody to win that thing as I, hot as he is. 
I do know there's uh, one hole I could play on that course, and that's number 16. Now, the pros do it on purpose. I wouldn't, but they skip it along the water and get it on the green. And I remember seeing John Rahm do it and, and make a hole-in-one on a practice round doing that. So I could do that. Um, in closing, Chuck, and I greatly appreciate your time, that is your bucket list. Is there another? Is there another place on earth that you would really enjoy going as a golf lover that you haven't been to? Well, I've been pretty lucky. I've played a lot of U.S. Open golf courses. Um, I've been very lucky, and, and but uh, you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll just take it. Tell you a quick minute. I I took my my, my mother's my mother's family's from all from Scotland, and my mother okay. had never been. So I took my mother to Scotland. We took the family. I took my mother. I left my clubs home, and um, we we have a cousin who has an, a castle about. 25 minutes outside of St. Andrews. So we went over wow. to St. Andrews. I stood there on the first tee and I said, boy, am I going to regret this? <laughs> and I never took my, never took my clubs. And, uh, so, you know, I guess, I guess if there's, I guess that's probably one. Uh, okay. but, um, I, I've played, I've been very lucky in my golf life and I've been able to play a lot of us open golf courses and, um, I've just been lucky. So I, I don't have much of a bucket list when it comes to golf anymore. I've been lucky to go to Ireland and play and, you know, and Pebble Beach, you know, I've been very lucky. And so uh, my bucket list is pretty short, but I'll never forget that one because there I stood on the first tee and never had my clubs. I went, boy, this, this, is, this, might, this might have been silly. Well, you're the envy of many. You actually got to play at Augusta where they play the masters and not many can say that. So uh, thanks for, for reminiscing, sharing some stuff. And uh, Hey, it just, just goes to show you, you got nothing to lose. Pick up the phone, make a call. You never know. Ask again. Don't you want, that's what they say. So. <laughs> Chuck, thank you. Enjoy the tournament and thank you for your time. Thanks, Jordy. Have a great day, buddy. All right. You got it. Chuck Wood, the boss um, picked up the phone and said, Hey, I'd like to cover it. Can we? Absolutely. And he did it. And the rest is history. That was the past. We'll go present day to Augusta. Our friend Scott Rabelais of The Advocate is there. His yearly journey covering Augusta and the Masters. And we'll get the latest lowdown on Tiger, the weather, everything. When we return after this timeout, the Jordy Hulpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. April 6, 1992. Duke beats Michigan in the Fab Five, 71-51 in the NCAA Men's Tournament Championship game. The win gives Coach K and the Blue Devils back-to-back national titles. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 18 minutes after the hour as we roll on here on the Jordy Helpert Show, one day before the start of the Masters, and it's a uh, yearly pilgrimage for our next guest. He gets the plum assignment, and deservedly so. Scott Rabelais of The Advocate uh, How many joins us from Augusta. Scott, thanks for the time. I'm just curious, how many years in a row is this now for you? Well... Actually, it's only my second year in a row because uh, I, well, I didn't okay. get to come in 2020. They really limited uh, the right. amount of uh, credentials we could have in 2020 because of the pandemic. But uh, I, this is my 15th overall. 
15th overall. Hey, wasn't wasn't your week given a little uh, more oomph when Tiger Woods said, I think I might play this week? Well, clearly, uh, as I wrote to today, a column in today's uh, papers, uh, it's, uh, it, it changed the Masters significantly. I mean, there's a lot more buzz. There's a lot more interest. Uh, inter- always interest in the Masters, even from yeah. the casual golf fans. But Tiger Woods, as Scotty Scheffler, who's only the number one player in the world right now, <laughs> said, uh, you know, Tiger Woods, he doesn't move the needle. He is the needle in golf. And uh, you can see it by the uh, the crowds watching him practice. You can see it by... Yeah, all the all the the talk is that what's been written, what's been said about him. It's uh, it's significant. Now, no one knows how he's going to play, or you know if he can right. contend. But it's still Tiger Woods, and he's playing for the first time anywhere in 2022, and it's a very big deal. Have you gotten up close to him to be able to see him? How, and if so, how's he swing it? Uh, how's he look when he has to pick up the tee and go walk to hit the second shot? Yeah, that's that's the interesting part jordan and it's 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 two very distinct parts really with tiger he he can swing the club he he can hit the shots and certainly he has the knowledge to play this this course very well you know being a five-time masters champion you know he won three years ago and he just kind of played a very surgical final round shot like a 69 while everyone around him was making mistakes and hitting ball in the water and stuff like that and he was just just moving along, uh, you know, right, right between like uh, going between the raindrops, and he won the green jacket. The the thing is, the the walking. This course, uh, if people say it all the time about Augusta National, TV flattens things out, as you as you right. well know. Right. And um, it's uh, it's a, a very hilly golf course, up and down, up you know, huge elevation changes. Curtis Strange uh, uh, last week said uh, it's the it's the hardest walking course in the world. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it's it's certainly very challenging and that's the part that's difficult for him he had this car accident he was in 15 months ago um near la uh nearly lost a leg nearly lost his life uh you know in in that car accident and so he's been rehabbing and had surgery and as he talked about the hardware in his leg and he he had very uh serious uh you know ankle injuries uh, to go with back injuries that he's previously had so um he's he's walking he's hitting good shots He's walking very gingerly, and I think that's the question. It's not a question of whether he can hit the shots. It's a question of he, whether he can hold up for right. you know, four days as it requires mm. to, to contend in a, in a golf tournament. Um, Scott Rabelais from uh, Augusta joining us. It's taken, it's taken whatever other storylines there are about this tournament and put them on the back burner. So let's put those other storylines on the front burner. What else is out there other than Tiger Woods that, that is intriguing this week? Well, significantly, and once again, uh, Rory McIlroy uh, okay. needs to win the green jacket to complete the career Grand Slam. This is something only a handful of players have done. Tiger, Jack Nicklaus, Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Gene Sarazen. Um, and I'm probably leaving somebody out, but I mean, I mean, very, very rare in the history of golf. It's very difficult to do, and he he needs this title. Has had several chances. He hasn't won a major in about eight years, so it's been a while that this is, clock has been ticking for him. Um, locally, we have Sam Burns, the former right. LSU All-American, had a great last year in golf. He won three times on the PGA Tours, playing in his first Masters. Um, he didn't have quite have the status to get in here with a world ranking or being a champion, but now he is, and, and uh, he's ranked number two in the FedEx Cup points uh, on the PGA Tour, which is their season-long points race for the, for the FedEx Cup title, uh, playing very well. 
you have uh, a player like uh, Scotty Scheffler, who, who I mentioned, the world number one, uh, num- and uh, has just played phenomenally. He's got Ted Scott on his bag. Of course, Ted Scott from Lafayette. used to caddy yeah. for Bubba Watson. Gonna, yeah. in his, I think he's definitely helped Scotty Scheffler's game and imparted some wisdom to him. And it's certainly going to help him around this course. So I think those, those are some of the, the, the big players to watch. But, uh, yeah, something like Rory McIlroy, this would be a big, big story, uh, or a bigger story, him going for the career grand slam, trying to make history. But, uh, you know, Tiger takes up a lot of oxygen on the golf course. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's talking about anybody else. Sam Burns trying to become um, the third master rookie to win. Gene Saracen, right. pretty good company, did it way back when. And uh, I believe Fuzzy Zeller did it as well. So uh, that would be quite That's a right. feather in the cap for the, the world's number 11th ranked player. Uh, that, that'd be fascinating. Another player that never gets, I, I mean, never gets talked about. But what's the game like? For one Jordan Spieth. Well, Jordan, uh, you know they you know talk about horses for courses, and Jordan Spieth is, is that here at Augusta. One in 2015 uh, was in position to win again in 16, but uh, yeah. hit a couple in the water on 12. Finished uh, a very close runner up to Patrick Reed in 2018. It always seems to be in contention, but has uh, a bunch of top five and top ten finishes here. Um, it's, has played better. He kind of had a little bit of a lull in his game for a couple of years. Won last year. Hasn't won this year. But he's always someone that you have to consider uh, uh, this place. He just seems to play well here with a lot of confidence, and mm-hmm. again, he knows how to how to play it. And um, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count out Jordan Spieth. Of course, the other big story of people not here uh, is is Phil Mickelson. Phil. Yeah, yes. yeah, you know, Phil you know, is, is not here at all. Wasn't even here for the Champions Dinner last night. Uh, okay. Chairman Fred Ridley, the chairman of Augusta National and the Masters, was asked about him today because uh, some you know Phil said you know he's taking a break from competitive golf. Uh, because of all the comments uh, he's made uh, regarding the Saudi-backed uh, golf league, you know, rival right. to the PGA Tour, um, some people say he was suspended by the PGA Tour. The, the tour will not say. Uh, Fred, uh, Fred Ridley was asked about that today. He said Phil Mickelson was not disinvited. He Phil called him uh, late February or early March and said he was not going to okay. play. And uh, turns out he didn't come at all. So uh, very uh, first time in th- three decades has been a Masters without Phil Mickelson here uh, playing. So that's uh, that's a significant story as well. Scott Rabelais from the Advocate at Augusta, which gets underway tomorrow. I think Tiger tees off pretty early with um, Louis Wiesthazen and somebody else. I can't remember who it is. But um, what what are your is is making the cut enough of a story for Tiger Woods, or do people actually believe he's going to be in contention on Sunday? You know, some some do, some don't. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think making the cut would would be amazing. Uh, I think amazing. I think yeah. I I I think his week is going to be like this. I think he's going to uh, play. I think he's going to uh, you know play pretty well. I think I think the 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 weekend though, the you know, by Saturday and Sunday, it's going to be quite a grind. Uh, yeah. Like I said, all all the walking, the the, the uphill you know, and downhill, the side hill. Yeah, as he said, the only flat places on this course are the eighteen tee boxes. <laughs> That's pretty true. Um, so, wow. uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's going to contend. But, but then again, Jordy, it's Tiger Woods. He won the yeah. U.S. Open in 2008 with a fracture in his leg. He yeah. won the Masters here three three years ago, less than two years after having spinal fusion surgery. Uh, you know, the, uh, the guy's remarkable. Now he's 46 now, and, and as yeah. we know, uh, you know, the time, you know, the father time still undefeated. 
But but you also think about that being that he's 46. He's the same age Jack Nicholas was when he won his sixth Masters. There you go. So you know, there's wow. lots of parallels and interesting stories. It's a fascinating story, and people are just bonkers here. I mean, they, they ESPN. Uh, if you go on Twitter, like uh, ESPN's account, you see people like six deep uh, around the eight, 18th tee watching him play in a practice round this morning. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. The, the people are just going to come uh, unglued if <laughs> Tiger Woods can somehow yeah. be in contention on Sunday afternoon. Augusta has turned into a zoo, and that zoo is Tiger Woods. There's no question. Um, every year there seems to be something different, something new. Is there any anything new to the course or to the clubhouse or to the, the sandwich shop? Uh, what's new this year, if anything? <laughs> Uh, there's always a few new, you know, items in the uh, in the golf shop, you know, you know that you got to buy uh, different okay. style shirts. Now the big change is the Augusta National is interesting in that it, it has because you, it's the one major played at the same place every year. It has a sense of permanence, right. but they're always making changes. Uh, they lengthened the 15th hole, uh, the 15th hole, 20 yards, the par five with the pond in front. It's now 550 yards. We're going to make the second going for it in two. Um, going to make players think about it, especially if they're in contention okay. on Sunday. Uh, the mm-hmm. 11th hole, we're going from 505 yards to 520, the par four. Okay. It's now longer than the 13th hole, which is a par five, uh, which wow. they still haven't lengthened. And they said they still don't know when they're going to do that, although Ridley said they probably will do it at some point. And they made a little, some little subtle changes uh, here and there. They take trees out and put trees in, Jordy, and it looks like it's always been there. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Man. They, it's amazing. They, they ripped out a bunch of trees right at the 11th hole, and they planted three huge mature tr- pine trees there and they look like they've been there you know as long as the course has how, been there it's it's pretty amazing. unbelievable how, how, how do those azaleas look and unfortunately i think that they they peak you know there's always that that urban legend that that they ice the azaleas here so they're peaking for <laughs> the tournament and unfortunately <laughs> there's some color on the course but it's not like it last year was fantastic maybe the best year oh. i've ever seen uh, okay. this year not quite so much still very beautiful very green and everything, but uh, they don't ice the Mother Nature uh, has, uh, has has the final say on that, not, not yeah. the people at Augusta National. Other time and Mother Nature always win. Um, 15th year, have you entered your name and put it in the hat? Have you ever played the course on the Monday after the Masters? I, I played I played last year uh, for the first time. Yes, I, wow. I sure did. And it was uh, quite an experience, a humbling experience. I shot 107. <laughs> uh, the course record is 63. Course record is 63. I figured I passed that somewhere on the 11th green, uh, 63 strokes. Um, but uh, not, not too proud of the score, but it was a wonderful experience. And uh, oh, unfortunately, man. when you're when you're in the media, uh, fortunately, we get the chance to play. But you can't enter the lottery again for seven years. So I, I got to wait a wow. while to uh, to get back in it. But now, if you're a, but if you're a volunteer like Buzzy Heidel or Michael Hollanders, former LG baseball players, they get to play it every year. Buzzy, Buzzy shot a 72 here last year. No freaking way. 72. He did. Huh. Yeah, he's quite a I gotta golfer. Get him. I got to get him. In. Is he back there again this year? He is. He's uh, he's uh, he's working. The, uh, he's a uh, gallery uh, guard, they call him, the marshals. And so uh-huh. is Michael Hollander. And, and they're, yeah, they're both here this year. And th- those guys get to come back and play every year. Now, they come back in May. They come here on their own dime. They feed them, and they give them a shirt and a hat. But that's about it. Then they get to come back in May and play the course uh, you know, before it closes down for the summer. That's their, that's I their know. pace. You, you, those two and you and a couple others, you're probably renting that house for $15,000 for the week. That's where you're <laughs> staying, right? Right on the course somewhere. I know you are. Yeah, the house where I'm staying, is, uh, the, the, it's, it's pricey. <laughs> you're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> oh, man. Well, look, it all gets underway tomorrow. Let's keep our fingers crossed that uh, Tiger gets through this. Um, they've had some rain. That makes the course even tougher to walk. I heard he got rid of the Nike shoes. He went to foot joy because it's more of a more stability to it. That's so right. many stories. I, I, it's crazy. But enjoy your time. I know you will. Can't wait to read your stories about it. Um, and uh, good for you, man. I hope you get to I hope you brought your clubs. I hope maybe you get to play again. Yeah, if someone bows out, maybe they'll invite me to play again. You can always hope. All right. Well, you'll, you'll be better this time around, man. You know the greens better. Scott Rabelais, thank you, buddy. And look, I even right, went through the George. whole interview without asking you to get me anything from the gift shop. How good am I? You're the only one. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who hasn't asked. <laughs> thank you, Scott. Have fun, buddy. Okay, thank you. All right, Scott Rabelais, kind enough to join us. We'll take a quick time out here. Um, uh, when we come back, Michael Huguenin on 3.com. We'll get off the golf kick. We'll wrap up the uh, college basketball world. We'll talk about some spring football and whatever else comes down the way. After this timeout, the Jordy Heltberg Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We are back. Uh, it's uh, it's Wednesday. It's hump day. It's my all-time favorite guest. Um, it's... Uh, well, let's just cut to the chase. Let's get busy. Let's do it, James. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. What's up, Michael? How you doing today, buddy? Uh, doing quite well. Um, sort of Good. sad that the uh, basketball season's over. Yeah. Um, were you surprised that the uh, the Kansas City Jayhawks won the whole thing? <laughs> I, I was I was not surprised Kansas beat North Carolina. I was surprised that North Carolina beat Duke. Um, okay. They, they shot the ball extremely well when they beat Duke. Uh, they did not shoot the ball extremely well when they played Kansas. I don't know if that was an offshoot of Kansas's defense or what, but you know when Caleb Love goes five of twenty-four, yeah. North Carolina is in trouble. And yet they had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to tie, even though their guards, I believe, were five of were like ten of forty-one in the field. Yeah. Overall, um, I thought it was a heck of a Final Four, uh, you know, with yeah. all the drama and all the emotion there. Uh, and I thought the city of New Orleans stood out. I thought uh, I thought it was wonderful. I thought uh, I thought New Orleans was the big winner. Um, but overall, pretty darn good Final Four. Yeah. Uh, two of the three games were exceedingly interesting. Parts of Villanova, Kansas were interesting. Yeah. I think obviously Villanova suffered. Uh, with the injury to the Moore kid, and it, it, that changed a lot of things. But um, 
the Duke Carolina semifinal was tremendous. Yeah. Um, and the the final itself, North Carolina North Carolina looked unbeatable in the first half, <laughs> and sure then did. Kansas in the first five minutes of the second half changed everything. And, and that game, you know, it certainly was not a thing of beauty from an offensive standpoint because there were a lot of bricks thrown up. But it yeah. certainly was an entertaining and close game. No, I think Kansas's defense really kicked it in uh, in that first five minutes of the second half, and Carolina had no easy shots. Um, I thought it was so ironic with Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA there, holding up a trophy, handing it to the, Tom Burnett, who's in charge of the selection committee, who handed it to the guy with the five um, – uh, level one infractions and still waiting for the penalty to be levied to Kansas by them winning the championship. Does that put a seed in the NCAA's mind? Well, we can't punish them too much. They just, they just won the trophy. Or, or what do you think? I don't, I don't, I don't think that'll play into it. Um, okay. It is, you know, sort of have some flashbacks to when um, the, when Tarkanian and ULB, UNLB won it all. <laughs> In yeah. 91, and you could, 90 rather, and you could tell that the, um, you know, the NCAA commissioner at the time was not too pleased to be handing the trophy to Tarkanian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the NCA has the, uh, let's get serious, the hatred for self that it did for Tarkanian, but it right. was, it's, it's not a good look. You're right. I mean, Kansas faces, there's five level one allegations, those are serious. Yes. And the idea that, you know, everybody up there smiling, Kansas wins, Bill Self basically has a lifetime contract, that certainly, I think, you, you had, I'm, sure, I'm sure you had people at the NCA in the NCA administration sort of gritting their teeth that, that Kansas won. Yeah. And, of course, you have your Will Wade proponents that are saying, well, look what they did to Kansas, and Bill Self is still coaching, and look what they did to Will Wade. Yeah, and I think that's it's interesting. Um, I think LSU, yeah, LSU stood by Will Wade for a long time and then cut him loose. Um, Kansas evidently is hell-bent on keeping Bill Self. Mm-hmm. Again, he basically got a lifetime contract, though my assumption is if you dove into it, perhaps there is some language in there regarding – Future violations, but you know Arizona stood by Sean Miller for a while. Um, eventually, though, it, it 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 they got rid of him, and then again, he's coaching again at Xavier. Yep. So um, yep. it's amazing. You and I are, are of a certain age, and we've heard for forty years. We've heard administrators, <laughs> university presidents, conference commissioners. You know, oh my goodness, the cheating in college sports. It's out of control. We got to stop it. And yet the same people who are moaning about it are hiring guys like Sean Miller, who was involved in a big-time investigation in Arizona. There is no rhyme nor reason to it. Um, it's it's going to keep on keeping on, and now it's all under the guise of NIL, and that's how well, teams are right. going to get around that's, it. That's going to change things, yeah. Because technically, let's get serious. If you get caught cheating now in recruiting, you're an idiot. Because yeah. NIL makes so many things possible yeah, because the NCA in its infinite wisdom has put up basically no guardrail. So um, my presumption is there are going to be some NIL changes made, but still it's the idea of the, the day of paying kids under the table or whatever, uh, that, that has gone away forever. 
Mike Hugan and On3.com. I've been around a lot, um, I, but you know this new transfer portal is a, is a relatively new thing. I have never in my life seen a coaching change, and yeah. not one, not two, but every player that still had eligibility, every one of them from LSU has left the building. Everyone. That's crazy. Yeah, that is, that's it's you can rebuild obviously extremely quickly through the portal. Uh, yeah. Iowa State's a prime example. They won two games last year. This year they're in the Elite Eight or, or the right. Sweet Sixteen rather because the new coach came in and hit the transfer portal. Now obviously bringing in they brought in six transfers. LSU's going to bring in nine or ten. Or at least eight, I would think, along with some signees. There's JUCO kids out there. There's a couple high school kids out there. So it's going to be interesting to see what Matt McMahon does. But the portal, um, for good or bad, um, has definitely changed the way things are done. But, you know, think about if this were 15 years ago and Will Wade leaves and everybody at LSU enters, decides they want to transfer, and they could have done it then. They just would have had to sit out. Um, it's a lot easier now to rebuild quickly because of the portal. The portal giveth, and the portal taketh away. Portal taketh away. Speaking of signings, I did not, I was not aware of this, but I'm just seeing it that you know Texas A&M Jimbo Fisher signed the, its first number one class this this past recruiting class, and on the final day of the second signing period, they strengthened that rating ranking, adding a fifth five star prospect in a. Big the the top ranked defensive end LT Overton who kind of um, reclassified to this year instead of twenty twenty three. I mean, my gosh, Jimbo! I mean, he better live up to the to the rankings now. Yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of pressure on Fisher more so than there was even a year ago at, the, at this time. And you know, a year ago at this time, people were thinking, okay, this is an A and M team that the schedule wasn't that difficult last year. A lot of guys coming back. Fisher was was confident about the team, and and they lost four regular season games um, because quarter, the quarterback injury and the quarterback play was extremely spotty. Um, and this this is another talented team in A and M, but it goes back to the quarterback play. Is you know is Haynes King going to be the guy? Is Max Johnson going to be the guy? Um, but for a guy who made his bones as a supposed quarterback whisperer, I would argue that. Since Jameis Winston left FSU, Fisher's quarterbacks have, frankly, not been all um, that. Yes. So it's going to be yes. interesting to see what A&M does this year. On paper, they have the best, second-best team in the West. Um, they were the second-best team on paper in the West last year, too, though. Um, it's and, and they lost four conference games. So uh, there's a lot of pressure on Fisher going forward. This class, though, my presumption is you're going to have seven or eight guys out of this class play pretty, you know, maybe not starring roles this fall, but you're going to have seven or eight guys who see a lot of playing time out of this recruiting class. Michael Hugan and on3.com. Um, we saw Cincinnati break through last year and join the big boy table uh, in the college football playoffs. Um is it going to be the same old crowd going back in, or is there some other teams we need to keep our eye on that uh, that maybe haven't been invited to the big table before? Yeah, you know, spring practice obviously has started most places. It's finished in some places, and you look around, you talk to people, you read stuff, you look at rosters, and then you're like, you know something? 
it is back to the same old, same old. Cincinnati was a great story. They're going to take at least a half step back, maybe a full step back. And you take a half step back at that, if you're a group of five, you, you ain't coming close to the big boy table. You're not even going to be in the same house. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's get rid of the idea that there's going to be a group of five in there this year, which means, yeah, it's back to, okay, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia all look really good. Mm-hmm. Who's the fourth team going to be? So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that, it, it, to me, you know, I'm a huge college football fan. I'm sort of I'm bored by the yeah. idea of yes. just a four-team field with the same schools. Yes. I cannot wait till they. You know, I was not necessarily a playoff proponent at the beginning, but now I'm like, okay, let's increase the size to eight or twelve. Can Team Twelve win? No, no, I don't no. care though. I want to see right. more teams involved as, yes. the, as November comes to an end, and I want to see more playoff games. Um, in, in December and early January, uh, and maybe we do get a few upsets. And again, no, a, a number twelve seed ain't winning at all. But maybe a number twelve seed wins in the first round and makes yeah. things more interesting. Because the way it is now, it's not that interesting. Maybe they keep it close, and they keep it in late in the fourth quarter. Who knows? Michael Hugo and on three. Well, you know, I, think I, about I, North I Carolina made the Final Four as an eight seed, yep. and technically yep. that means they rank between twenty ninth and thirty second. That's so right. there's there's hope, I think, for, again, expanded playoff to me makes too much sense because here we are in early April talking about the playoffs that are going to be played in late December, and we're already thinking, huh, we already know three of the four teams. <laughs> That's right. Um, how much pressure is on Steve Sarkeesian at Texas? Because they, oh, they think- certainly underachieved a year ago. Yeah, I think there's a lot. And I think it's going to be interesting. Um, okay, first, let's, we talked about Jimbo Fisher and his recruiting class. A&M out-recruited Texas. Um, and yeah. they're saying one of the reasons is, okay, let's take the NIL stuff out of it, because Texas certainly has a lot of NIL money as well. It's the fact that A&M's in the SEC, and they're selling the fact that if you want to play big, true big boy football, you got to be in the big, you got to be in the SEC. Eventually, Texas is moving over, but... Oklahoma right now is a far better program than Texas. I think there's a lot of pressure on Sarkeesian. Um, they they did underachieve last year. Um, they lost to Kansas for God's sake. That's there's Texas should never lose to Kansas. So um, a lot depends to me on Quinn Ewers because if Hudson Card is Texas's starting quarterback, he's not elite. No, he's not. So right there, you know, okay, our ceiling's 10 wins. I think with Ewers, um, he certainly has the potential to be an elite quarterback. Um, They have some extremely good weapons around them, B. John Robinson, Xavier Worthy. Mm -hmm. The uh, transfer from Wyoming, the receiver Isaiah Nayer, can play. Um, This better be a Texas team that shows noticeable improvement on the field, and then they need to make that payoff on the recruiting trail for the 2023 class, because I think if Texas is an eight and four kind of team, um, a lot of kids who are considering Texas right now ain't going to be signing there. Michael Hugan on three.com. Um, I'll, I'll let you go on this one. He hasn't coached a game in the SEC, but there's a lot of new coaches in the SEC. You've got your figurehead and Nick Saban. You've got Kirby Smart, who won a national championship. Um, where would you rank? Brian Kelly, 
in the in the list of hierarchy of SEC football coaches, and all you can do is base it upon what he's done in the past. Okay, from from an X's and O's standpoint, I think he'd be third. I think okay. he's a better X's and O's guy than Jimbo Fisher. Okay. Um, he did phenomenal work at Notre Dame. Um, they went to the playoff twice while he was there. Um, and that's with legitimate recruiting restrictions. Um, he also, though, was a really nice fit at Notre Dame. Okay. Um, from, a, from a football standpoint, I think he'll be a success at LSU. But that's, that, there's a caveat. He's got to get the players. And that's mm-hmm. the, the, the concern I have right now. Is he going to be able to recruit to the level he needs to? Though I would argue that, you know, when he was, again, at Notre Dame, it's, it's not an overstatement to say that they could sign maybe 40% of the guys at Notre Dame that ended up signing with SEC schools because the academics are legitimate. Yes. Um, no SEC school other than Vanderbilt has any kind of academic restrictions. Let's get serious. So Kelly, he'll, he is a good coach. So his success will be determined by how well he recruits, and that's not anything – you know, insightful, but I think from an okay. X and O standpoint, this dude is elite. He just has to get the players to, okay. to, good to, hear. to come on campus and let him show that off. We do this at one more. We do this every year at this time of the year. Mm-hmm. The coach that's on the hottest of hot seats in the SEC has got to be the guy on the plains of Auburn, maybe? Yeah, I think I'm shocked that I, I don't know how they're going to be able to recruit with yeah. what went on. Um, in, in January and February uh, at Auburn. I think Harson, um, I think he was sort of surprised by the intensity mm-hmm. with which yeah. his program uh, is under a microscope. Yeah. Um, I, I think that he has to recruit a heck of a lot better. Um, I'm not sure, though, that, you know, if they get off to a slow start, Ooh. I don't know if he makes it to the end of the season. I'm with you. Mike Huguenin on 3.com. Thank you, my friend. Have a great week. All right, talk to you next week. Appreciate it. You got it. Here we go. Blue Lady, it's that. Tune in next week to the Jordy Holbert Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Finishing touches after this timeout on the Jordy Holbert Show. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber for the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. The hair may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, finishing quick touches. If today is your birthday, April 6th, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Share it with two-time national champion, former gymnast for LSU, Ashley Claire Kearney Thigpen. Happy birthday, Ashley. Um, terrific, terrific gymnast. Thanks to our guests, Justin Napoli, Chris Roseverglue, Mr. Chuck Wood, Scott Rabelais, Mike Hugan, and tomorrow... I don't have a clue yet, but we'll figure it out. The Masters starts. I'll have the TV on during the show. Until then, I'm Jordy Helper. Uh, stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy, my friends. And by all means, let's all be happy, my friends. We will uh, see you and talk to you tomorrow here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. 
So long, everybody. Have a great afternoon and evening.